Hello and welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that finished watching Gundam Build Fighters and decided to reconquer the next real Gundam series. My name is Jeremy. Say my name, because I forgot it. Oh wait, no, I remembered. Hi, I'm Tyler. Oh wow, Tyler's talking. My name is Zach. (laughs) Today we are watching episode 14 of Reconquista NG, Halfway Guys. Can you (sighs) believe we're halfway through this story? (laughs) Remember halfway through Gundam Seed when Kira and Athrin were killing each other? Asterisk, that was twice as far into it, and asterisk, not actually halfway, but... I think it was a little longer than halfway. It is. Um, um, but anyway, yeah, this... I think even in... um, Wow, yeah, the halfway points of a lot of these, because I just thought of the halfway point in G Gundam. Like, damn, that's that's the brawl that you switch out the Shining Gundam. I was going to say, the halfway point in Double O, I feel, is about when it started actually picking up. Uh, well, I that mean, was the end of season one, basically. No, I mean the, the halfway point of 00 season one, specifically. Which one was that? Was that the battle in the desert? Yeah, that's around that time. I think it's when the druggies show up is the halfway point. I could be wrong. I think that's slightly before the halfway point, because there's the random clip episode that's like episode 16. Anyway, we're watching the best episode title we've ever had this week, Space and Mobile Suit Battles. You know, Weirdly, to... not aptly titled for this one. Yep, and also, like, despite the terrible name, I actually kind of like this episode. I thought it was pretty decent. I think this episode as a bottle is pretty good. I am exhausted with the pace of G-Reco, and I think this episode suffers the most from it, because I think the battles and the intrigue are both actually pretty interesting in it, but I also think that, like, we've just had so many random space battles that they just feel exhausting. Yeah, because most of the space battles we've had haven't felt like they're trying to show us anything other than have an action point. Because, like, in the beginning of Gundam Seed, as they're running for the planet, basically every episode has a fight, but each one of them feels important because there's something else that has changed about the status quo. Like, Kira almost getting nabbed by Atherin, and they've managed to get him the uh, the launcher strike. I think what the battles in G-Rek are trying to establish is the relationship between Klimnik, Mask, and Bellary and also their relative power levels, but there's just so little of that. And it also means the focus is more on Klim, Nick, and Mask in a lot of ways, who are failing in a lot of ways, (laughs) which is kind of weird, whereas Bellary's just like, I'm the main character, la-di-da-di-da, I roll 20s all day long, (laughs) I had to make me a sandwich. (laughs) He's not wrong inherently, unfortunately. I mean, sometimes a sandwich is sniping that guy using me as a shield, that was pretty cool. But that's the thing. Most of the fights have pretty cool stuff going on in them. So I have to give them that. It's just exhausting that we keep getting it instead of building to something exciting. In some ways, I actually wonder if this isn't like this would be much more consumable as a like Saturday morning cartoon. Which is weird that it's the first and only Gundam series to be a late night anime intended and marketed at adults, right? Yeah, like I remember you said that, but I think Tyler's kind of right because... Like, you look at most of the other Gundam series, Gundam Seed with its not-so-subtle racism analogs and all that, and it's a lot of them are dealing with more complicated issues. And to be fair, most of those are not Saturday mornings. The only Saturday morning Gundam shows have been the Build series. Those are 6 p.m. primetime, like Dragon Ball Z back in the day sort of time slot. Gundam Seed is somewhat famous for being a amazing time slot, because what was in that time slot was Gundam Seed, then Full Metal Alchemist, then Gundam Seed Destiny. <laughs> which yeah that's some peak ass anime despite our feelings about destiny but this one was like late night like adult swim type stuff yeah and i think that's mostly like uh no only old men will care about this gundam show tomina is doing more than anything else 
But like you said, it feels the most Saturday morning in its thing. And like I said, I think there are a lot of really deep themes in here. They're just buried really deeply, and the character development is so often glossed over. Like, lastly, Zach, you were, I don't want to say attacking it, but criticizing the lack of character development in some ways. And we'll talk about it over the next two episodes. I think there's a ton of character development. The series just spends no time dwelling on it, so it's easy to miss and doesn't feel impactful. It feels like the series doesn't care about it, not that it's not including it. Well, the problem, I think, that you run into in a lot of cases when you're doing character development like that is it makes some characters feel inconsistent because they go from one episode, like, I hate you, to the next episode, within five minutes of that last event, oh yeah, I'm your best friend, and I'm like... You want to run that by me again? Mobile suit pilot. Good job. It works okay for background characters because then it's an implied story, right? Of, oh, I wonder how that change happened. But we're getting it with the front characters. And I keep thinking, uh, in part probably because Madoka 4 is coming out, about Gena Robochi's praise for G-Racko about it's like, oh, it's like they undid a story. It's like a warning against stories. And like (laughs) all the ways that's weirdly kind of true. And I don't think it, I'm not like Gena Robochi, like, oh man, this is really cool. I'm just confused by it. But like I said before, they're defying the idea of making characters represent things, right? Whenever they introduce a new faction, they make it as complex as possible. It's not like, and this is the person that represents the faction. It's, oh, and also this faction has 27 sub-factions, and each character within the faction, you know, like a real human, has their own motivations for the faction and a differing amount of loyalty to it. I Um, mean, that kind of thing can work. It's just, when you're giving me characters to watch and have to care about, like, you can have big casts. Uh, the Stormlight Archive has a freaking huge cast, but they've only got a few characters that they focused on, and it's not a, like, this is the representative of this particular faction. It's just, we've got a ton of characters, and we got to give you some characters to follow around. I, I think therein you make a mistake in that you expect, or that you think that G-Reco thinks that you should care about the characters. And I actually argue, maybe, that G-Reco fundamentally is not a character-driven show. Um, which is weird considering how much time they spend on screen. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a setting and theme-driven show. It's just a weird, like, it's not a way, well, like you said, it's an interesting way to tell a story in that it is, like, not really telling a story so much as it is. I mean, obviously, I've said it a couple of times. Characters are your story. Except for, I think you actually can tell a theme-driven story. And, like, I don't want to say, like, seven is better than six and eight is better than seven. But, you know, when you're taking high school English, that's what people, your teachers will tell you, right? Characters are what the story is. That The plot isn't important. The characters are. Better stories are about characters than plot, right? And that's absolutely true. I think theme-driven stories can be an even a step beyond that. But most theme-driven stories spend a lot of time getting you into characters to help explore those themes. Like, Gundam Seed is a pretty theme-driven story at the end of the day, right? But it's also more than theme-driven. It's character-driven. What we care about is Kira and Lacus making out. And the fact that <laughs> racism is bad maybe goes over your head by mistake. Well, but like is, something with- like Game of Thrones, which is very popular, is super, super theme-driven. The thing is, it has 50 different characters so that you can see different parts of the world and different themes. And so what you end up caring about is those characters, even though the ar- overarching themes are what's more important to the author. That's why he'll just uh, take out the gat and kill a bunch whenever he needs to, because the <laughs> themes are more important than the characters. You're a dummy for getting invested in them, and now I can emotionally manipulate you by killing them. That's your fault, not mine. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, even with theme-driven stories, characters are the ones that are going to drive your themes around. 
Like, they're the ones that are going to point the themes and interact with the themes. If you take your characters out and it's like, none of the, literally none of these people matter to my themes, your theme doesn't mean shit. I want to write a story now that has no human characters in it. You can, the thing is, you can have a story with no human characters. You need characters to drive your story. That's what drives a story. Even if it's a theme-driven story, the characters are the ones that are pointing at the themes and following the themes and moving the story along to talk about the themes you want to talk about. For sale, Baby Shoes and Crib, lightly used, has no characters, but is a story, right? Yes, but that's breaking it all the way down to literally 12 lines. Yes, but I'm saying you could then build from, like, I'm saying it's possible, right? So can you build on top of that? And that's an interesting challenge, and I think maybe you can. Uh, I think we are kind of talking in circles because I don't think any of us love G-Reco. Oh, no, uh, no. But I find it <laughs> fascinating that it doesn't care about its characters in that way. Because you kind of cut me off midpoint, Zach, before I even got to the point. I was setting up my point and you jumped in and took it from me, which is that I don't think it cares about its characters for its development at either. It cares about showing you from an external view rather than an internal view. Most people that like... If you meet up with a friend from high school who's completely different and you didn't see his story, you didn't see all of his development. So it kind of feels like he's just a completely different person. And that's the weird dissonance of growing up, right? And I think it wants to capture that and show that by not getting into most of the characters' heads. Like, we don't really see Bellary struggling with Delinson's, uh, with the fact that he killed Delinson, right? But we see the effects of it in this episode and the next. I mean, you're not wrong. No, and th- that's mostly what I was driving at. It's like, it's... This almost feels like the Gundam equivalent of, like, the old-timey, like, war games that eventually evolved into <laughs> D&D, where, like, you did have specific characters, but you were more concerned about the overarching actions. That's interesting, though, because I also think it cares. Like, I get what you're saying. It's almost more like the Cimmerillion to me, but I think what it cares about is not the setting. I think it does care about that, but I think the themes are, like, the king in Tomino's mind. And then the setting, and then the character, well, and then the action, because you need to sell those uh, toys, right? And then the characters, and that feels super strange. And honestly, probably the mecha designs are above that, because Tomino cared about employing all his old friends. And the mecha designs are pretty good in this, right? I mean, they're not terrible. I'm still not a huge fan of the G, uh, the, Mac of the knife. G self, but, yeah. or the Mac knife. I think when I say that they're pretty good, none of these are going to be feel like top shooters for the list, but like they're very unique and they feel right for the setting, right? It's a very good set of mecha in okay. a way that like I don't like IBO mechs because they all feel the same to me. Okay, that's fair. I, I get what you're saying. Even though I like some IBO mechs a lot better than what's going to rank highest probably from g on our list. I know there's at least one that hasn't cropped up, but I'm also thinking that one's probably a late arrival. Look, there are plenty of mobile suits that are going to be arriving. <laughs> One's a pyramid. So yeah, we're going to watch episode 14 of Reconquista NG, Space and Mobile Suit Battles. You can too if you want to. We have a new opening scene because we're halfway there, guys. It's, it's really bad. Like <laughs> We talked about not liking the first one, but that's one I watch every time because the song is good and it gets me pumped. This one still is just a bunch of random scenes from the series. It's got more to choose from because there's been more series, but the song is so soft that goes with it. It doesn't go with the scenes at all. There was obviously, like the first opening, no attempt to mash them up. And like, it just is a mess. I made the comment that I think this is the worst Gundam opening I've ever seen. And I think it it is a top shooter from my personal list of stuff I can remember the openings for, for being one of the worst. Like, 
This opening is dreadful. It's definitely a top shooter for worst Gundam opening of all time. I don't think it's worst opening of all time. Like, I'm thinking of, like, some awful all-CGI ones and just some real bad stuff. Like, honestly, the opening sequence works better without the song, and it's still not good. Uh, We do get one scene. I think that's because we can imagine there's a better song behind it. Yeah. It's not even the song is bad. It's just bad for the sequence and bad for an opening song. I was going to say, we do get one scene of Ida and Belry having lunch at, like, a cafe or something. (laughs) I think I know where that actually, I think I might know where that actually takes place. Thanks to Super Robot Wars X, but it's the only scene that we basically haven't seen before. That might be the most frustrating scene in Rikengista (laughs) NG, and also maybe the most improved in the movies. Uh, We'll get it very soon, though. Don't worry. Uh, Not this episode, though, which starts out with them waiting to go to the peace accords with Raraya, Ida, and Naredo all having dressed up. Naredo and Raraya are in fancy gowns, but... They couldn't find anything for Raraya because there are no good shops. I think this is bullshit. I think Ida just said dibs on that one. And Naredo's like, well, there's only another good one. So dibs on that. And Raraya got stuck with this. Raraya She is, looks like a Final Fantasy character now. She kind of does. She looks like a Final Fantasy thief. And then, you know, after that, like, they're like we're disguising her. And then Ida rocks up in like a ball and like a party gown. Yep. The way I wrote this in my notes was casual, casual party dress. Why? Naredo's doesn't come off as casual to me. It doesn't come off as as fancy as Ida's, but it comes off as like business casual at least. Okay, Ida's straight up cocktail party. Like, what the hell is this? And it's only here for this one scene. Yeah, and then they immediately get changed to go to the peace talks. (laughs) Except Raraya, who keeps her Final Fantasy outfit on. No, uh, Naredo also keeps her outfit on. It's just Ida Ida gets changed for some reason. Mask is uh, watching Clem Nick because it's the only way he can get off now. (laughs) A bunch of monitors with Barara and Colonel Compact. Being very critical of the fact that they got into a fist fight at the peace talks. I would not call that a fist fight. Did you see what Clem Nick was doing? (laughs) A bunch of chops. That was like some straight up kung fu is what happened. And uh, so Manny is here like serving tea. Yeah. Manny's also here. It just seems weird that Manny, of all people, is the one doing the tea serving. Is it just because we already know her name? Oh, it's so that she can hear it for later. Also, Zach, nepotism. When your boyfriend is at the meeting, you get you get tea duty, and somebody else has to clean up the deck. She does look very disappointed that he doesn't even comment on the fact that she served him tea, though. Anyway, Compaq and Lewin are like, actually, it sounds like... Maybe Klimnik had the right plan, and the Durette fleet is not that impressive, given that they also were taunted into a fistfight. So if we can just kill the leader here. But Compaq is like, no, even I, the shiftiest character in the series, <laughs> do not think we should assassinate the man on holy ground. Kill him in his ship. It'll look like it was just battle. They'll say it was an honorable death. We'll get all the benefits and none of the uh, alignment drops. <laughs> well, and when he says, when he talks about the assassination, Manny looks like legitimately afraid. Like, she looks kind of traumatized, actually. Yeah, when your boyfriend just casually suggests assassination, I think you will start, like, doing some calculus in the head. And she does end up with uh, X equals he's hot, but she did have to do the math. Man, I never realized how big Barrara's hair was until we saw it from the back there. It's pretty 80s. And it's volume. Uh, then we cut to the written peace treaty accords. Again, I has decided that, oh, wait, no, this cocktail dress is too much to watch peace talks from the balcony seats that we got. Yeah, but like I said, uh, Naredo and Raraya are still in their outfits. 
I do love that we zoom in on them playing a D&D game together. They all brought their computers so that they can use D20 or, or roll 20. Except for the Pope who has a tablet. Yep. Well, he's got that Pope money. Uh, we get some important exposition about how they couldn't find where the Res of Hermes blueprints come from. And Bellary's mom is like, yeah, we always check for stowaways, so they couldn't have gotten there through the tower. We don't know what's up. I disagree, considering how many people have stowed away on that damn tower. And so we cut out, and Ida asks Raraya to give him a briefing on who the three representatives are. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, General Dorito, Mashnir Hume, and Turbo. Turbo Brock. Well, she, she specifies, I don't know Turbo Brocken's rank, but it, it, at least the subtitles don't give us Mashner's rank from um, Raraya. We do get it later. She's, I, I believe, a colonel. Um, I will say that she just totally spoke in a complete coherent sentence. No, of, yeah, that is what and makes no the one last, commented on yeah, it. Yeah, the last part of this episode so weird. Well, to be fair to this part, it clearly looks like Araya is straining to say anything gotcha. here. Like she's sweaty, she looks up like very focused, and later she will just very casually be able to speak, which is I think what they're going for. If, like right now she's like eighty percent lucid, and at the end of the episode she's good. But she was last time we saw her like forty percent lucid. This is remarkable improvement, and you think they'd say something about it. I was just assuming that the reason why she looked strained and uh, kind of sweating here is because she does know these people, and these people might know her. Maybe. She was rather concerned when she uh, saw Dorito's ship the first time. It was also shooting at them when well, she saw it the first fair, time. Yeah. <laughs> and Ida did note that, you know, you know them. So presumably they might know her. And we, I think it's it actually is in a, the next episode, but we do find out that one, at least one person on the other side does know her. Yep. Or at least knows of her. Man, I did not pause on this frame. Look at those, look at the priests. Look at their eyes. Amazing. <laughs> well, they're look looking at the, at the same thing, whatever it is. Look, think, look at the Pope who turned into a gorilla temporarily. <laughs> I think, if I remember right, during this particular scene, the Toasanga people are actually talking, and their eyes are looking over at them. Anyway, we establish that half a month from now is when they're supposed to show up with new photon batteries, and the Pope's like, that's when you should have come to do these peace accords. But Durrett is like, well, Amaria suddenly put a fleet into space. We couldn't just sit on the moon and wait. Uh, actually, you kind of could have. Anyway, we get a bunch more proper nouns relating to the photon battery stuff, and even some exposition, because Bellary's mom doesn't know what these proper nouns are. Only a little, but we get some. Anyway, there, uh, uh, track the number of factions we know about in Teosanga to two. The Durette <laughs> Army, who is the Army, and the Hermes Foundation, who only cares about delivering photon well, batteries. And depending on how you look at it, there might be three. Oh, I, I said two so far. Well, no, oh, I, I, I meant we that know we that. know of, because we know Raraya's unit, was whatever that entails, was independent. Yes, I guess at this point, I was assuming she was still part of the direct army. It was just an independent unit, because she just she knows them all. She just doesn't know Turbo's rank. But you could be right. It, Again, it's two or three. You are correct. When I saw it, I thought she was really nervous around because of these people being here and them potentially knowing her. Also, you know, having... Vague knowledge of memories of playing Super Robot Wars X going through this and foreknowledge. I'm like, maybe that's the cause of this, but... Don't worry, guys. There's only one more super faction we're going to introduce. <laughs> Completely the Three Ships Alliance? <laughs> <laughs> Completely randomly. Mashner is wearing these, like, giant silver hoops. And every time she moves in this episode, they make jangly noises. And I think that's pretty fun. Dear God, would those be terrible in space, though? Oh, yeah. No, totally. And she's in a spacesuit with them at some point. And I don't know how she does it. Look, she's got to put hot for her lover. Who is blonde guy? Do we ever learn his name? We do next episode. Okay. Oh, we hear it this episode, but... 
It's not associated with him. And uh, so our our four lead characters are like, okay, we're all leaving now. That's just the boring parts of the peace treaty left. And Ida gets not quite flirty with Bellary, but is suddenly way more friendly with him than he, she's ever been. And she's like, you heard we're going to Toasanga, right? And Bellary's like, yes, I was there when you loudly declared it at the end of last episode. <laughs> I was Thank standing you. right next to you. You were literally talking to me. Yeah, you did yell to the moon moon in my face. <laughs> I-, I assume this is to establish that Danielle has approved of it and it's all go, but it does come off as, as you know, Bellary. <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of get a feeling through here more that... um. It wasn't so much that she was being flirty with Bellary so much as that she was kind of excited to be doing this yeah, and that's wanted fair. to share that excitement with someone and Bellary happened to be there. But Naredo and Mariah are also right there and seems way more likely targets for her excitement sharing. <laughs> she seems to actually be weirdly closer to Bellary than them than those two. She does have this animosity towards Bellary still kind of buried in there. But she always seems to be, like, default to being closer to Bellary than Nareda. That's because they both pilot mobile suits. So. I, I think <laughs> that actually might be the case. Like, they have they been actually... working on their support rank. They did that cool combo move where she sniped <laughs> from behind him last time. So you're probably right. It's just every episode, every time we've been, you know, seen all these characters together, she kind of shifts away from Nareda. Like, she does go to Raya, and that brings her around uh, Nareda as well. But she doesn't tend to go near or deal with Nareda willingly on a lot of times that's everyone finds Naredo annoying um, <laughs> i do love uh we we cut to Naredo and raya stealing some apples and raya's like oh shit they caught me and then hides it raya <laughs> eats her apple and just throws it into a pasture and there's some cool setting building uh where bellary's like hey she shouldn't waste food and they're like actually in space they don't consider that wasting food and bellary's like yeah i guess we also just throw table scraps on pasture to use as fertilizer and the capital, so that makes sense. Apparently, they're also amazed that she actually managed to throw it all the way into the pasture, yeah. so I guess they this world also does have a you-throw-like-a-girl insult. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more about her mental state, right? I mean, you might have a mental state, but you can still throw pretty far. Yeah, but you usually won't, like, won't hit the right target or do the right throw, right? It's just she's going to come off as random. I think that's more of a, oh, she's she knows what she's doing. And Bellary's like, oh, she's such a good girl. And Ida's like, you like her. And Bellary's like, this show does not know what it's doing with romance. So <laughs> even if I did, what would it mean? She's been I mean, brought up well by us is how I interpreted that. <laughs> we raised that girl. Mostly Naredo, if I'm being honest. But I will take credit. As a Japanese person, I'm allowed to say, yeah, I was off working, never saw her once. I did a good job raising her. That's how <laughs> Japanese dads work, unfortunately. I mean, of course, everybody likes Raya. She's adorable. Chuchumi. Anyway, Manny comes up to them to be like, hey, we're leaving. I wanted to say bye. And everyone's like, why are you going back? And she's like, I'm enlisted, remember? I have to follow orders. That's kind of how it works. I know you guys may not be aware of this because you're in this weird, like, pseudo-enlistment. What do you think of Manny's uniform? Because I like it, but it seems super... The high collar and all makes it look, and the, like, how tight it is, makes it seem like it's supposed to be a spacesuit. So it's super weird to me when they hand her spacesuits and are like, hey, it looks like it should be most of a spacesuit to me. Well, it looks like it's part of, like, a, a pilot's outfit because it's also reminiscent of Barrara's. Yeah. And we've also seen that she's not the only one that has this particular uniform because all the, like, Enlisted people that were on board this oh, the Grand basically the same had thing. basically the same uniform. Y- yes, but let's be honest. From a character design point of view, they designed Manny and are like, okay, I guess this is the outfit everybody <laughs> wears because she's in it. Um, I, I'm not super thrilled, mostly because I'm not a huge fan of like the weird half jacket. 
I mean, I kind of like that. It just seems like it should be like it seems like he should just be able to put a helmet on this, and it should be a spacesuit to me. So it's weird in a second when she's gonna get handed a spacesuit. What happened is someone watched a lot of Star Trek, and they're like, "Yes, more spandex," and this suit was born. You're right. It's very Star Trek. I hadn't put that together, but it's incredibly Tasha Yar. I'm actually more sad that that they cut her hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially when we get in the eye catch. She had such good long hair, and we never see it. Although, and we see it again in the opening because she, as the cheerleaders, are in the opening. Uh, Manny's again. personality kind of disappeared for a bit, and that was too bad. And she's never quite all the like Genki girl that she was before. But we do see some of her ambition and forwardness coming back, and I do like that. So Bellary tries to get information out of Manny, but she does not bite. <laughs> and she chocobos off. Bellary tries to get Nareda to go back home, but she's like, nope, it would be more romantic go- to go to the moon. And this makes Raya chuckle. The salamandra is also on the move. And so Bellary's like, yeah, I get that Clem's going to the move too. So Mask is probably going to the moon because he plans ahead. And then like Ida gets snarky with him and like she's like, you would have to tell us where he's going. It's like, he's still never been a member of the Capitol <laughs> Army. Like that hasn't changed. I do love this little scene here where Manny is like, Returning she's handing back shanks. in the shank. And she's like, no, I don't need points. I don't want to <laughs> register. I don't want to be on your mailing list. I don't need your fucking credit card. I'm never coming back here again. <laughs> He's like, but you still have an hour left. And she's like, why do you care? I'm returning it. <laughs> it's clearly already paid for. That's how we know it's an idealistic future, is that capitalism has not gone horribly wrong. <laughs> uh, Mandy barely makes her elevator and gets shoved in a spacesuit, as I mentioned earlier. It is kind of funny. She gets in the elevator and it's just a bunch of dudes and she's so short compared to everybody else. She and Mask do have a meaningful look before they get on the shuttle. He's like, don't worry. I left my personality somewhere back on Earth. Well, we get dangerously close to them having a moment in this scene, actually. A man he comments, Captain Mask is seriously ready to start some fireworks. And And then she gets (laughs) ordered by some dude floating past. Before Mask, like, knocks into her. It's so... It's like he wanted to try to do a meet cute and rolled a one. <laughs> well, it seemed kind of like he was trying, like he was using it to turn himself around. But then they show on the other side that he's got the hydrogen pack <laughs> type thing, so he's just got like the jets to stabilize himself. So it's like, why did you have to near in the back of the head? Anyway, as Tyler said, they get dangerously close to a moment where Mask is like, "Hey, this plan is gonna be a little dangerous. Try to stay as far into the ship as you can. It might go bad. I'm fighting for Kuntala Pride, not for Barara." And she's like, don't worry, I'll be there to cheer you. And then Barara appears. And she's like, mmph, that woman. <laughs> Doing dance moves with him in space. Looking like, like a bunny. I need to learn how to pilot a mobile suit now. Because <laughs> she's going to steal my man with mobile suit skills. And you know who learns to pilot a mobile suit before Manny? Raya. <laughs> to, to be fair, Raya already knew. That's yeah, fair. Raya already knew how to pilot a mobile suit. I'd be more impressed if it was Naredo. I do, like I said, this is what I was talking about when I was like, her personality kind of creeps back in. I like that she's like, oh, I have to do something. And that thing is pilot mobile suits so that I can do dance moves with mask in space. And potentially get my own custom spacesuit. And one of the guys is like, hey, stop talking to our superiors and do your job. <laughs> I kind of feel like he didn't actually see her talking to mask. Yeah, he just, he just noticed saw that her. she was still standing there. Yeah, he turned around and saw her still standing there. And was like, God damn it, stop spacing out, recruit. Go Go do what I told you to do. So we, we cut to a dinner party where the Durette faction is like actually talking, but there's like some chatter in the background. And Mashner's like, hey, I'm going to go do stuff. Draw this out as long as you can to distract their main forces. So this version didn't have all the other things subtitled, um, but someone was talking about like sheep. And I've, I'm 
killing myself for not having my notes on me right now. Uh, but s- someone mentioned something really dumb in the background, and now I'm sad about it. Also, I believe the dude's name is Rock Pie. Yes. Rock Pie, Rock Pie is the name of the blonde guy. I did not realize um, that that was Rock Pie. I thought it was some other random person who was Rock Pie. I told you he had the dumbest name. I do like their <laughs> uniforms, honestly. The Durrett Army? Yes. They're pretty good. They're, they are very, like, I think I said it before, they're very wing-esque, and I like, but they don't, like, have all the Napoleon-era tassels and shit. They feel like historical uniforms without obviously being any historical uniform. It's a very good design. Anyway, she's on the phone with Rock Pie, her boyfriend. Who was also the Genki boy from last episode. Who got in a fight, but Minovsky particles cut them off. I mean, he's either her boyfriend or her pet. I'm not actually <laughs> sure which one. On the moon, on they're the same thing. <laughs> uh, they call it a colossar in the future. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mask's like, who's spreading Minovsky particles? And the captain of the gr- space Grotodon is like, ah, oh, it's weird. It's from above St. Porto. And Mask is like, hmm, is the shifty colonel trying to get us to act? So it's like, af- after we deploy, I want you to shoot their flagship. And so th- they're just doing some planning. And Mask's like, hey, don't say the plan on screen or it won't work. I So the reason I assume that is because he immediately internally monologues about Colonel Koompa. And I think he is acting contrary to the colonel's plans. And he has convinced the ship captain to work with that. Um, and he doesn't want it to say out loud in case it gets, like, tracked or, like, someone else overhears. See, I, I interpreted it more that he was playing. The, the captain was saying, we're going to shoot and then we're going to fall back, which wasn't the plan, which is why Mass cuts him off and says, no, just proceed as planned. I take it as this is what the colonel wants, but he's like, okay, but like six moves ahead from now, I'm going to make a split. I think this is Mask. Again, it's me talking about how every character is important in the faction, right? The factions don't actually work cohesively because they're supposed to be in air quotes, more realistic. It's not that I think it's unrealistic. It's just very unstorytelling because it's not simplified in any way. Uh, I think generally speaking, most, like, realistically speaking, most of them wouldn't have all these factional splits. You'd have some, especially coming from, you know, someone from Japan who was J- but around just- during the uh, World War II where the army and the navy actively tried to kill each other. I think like, it- on the same side tried to kill each other. <laughs> I think it's just a matter of how deep do you want to go, right? Like, just think about American politics. You can take it from a, that's America, they're a faction sort of way. You can go, okay, that's America, but there are the Republicans and the Democrats, right? And then you can go to subcommittees, and then you can talk about how there's Congress and the Senate, and then there are sub-factions in in the parties in Congress and the Senate, and that's before you even get to local level. No, I was more of thinking, like, in this particular case, like, this is a military thing, you have somebody who's basically trying to form their own faction from your military. Yeah, that happens all the time. I mean, historically not speaking, same, yes. Not, not to the same degree. Like, obviously, the the states has, you know, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, and the Army well, I'm, yeah, that I'm don't get along with each other. Within one of those units, there is actually quite a lot of factionalism. Also, modern ar- armies, very organized, very regimented. These armies, not so much. More like old Roman armies, where that would happen literally all the time. That's fair. Also, I'm coming at it from a historical perspective where they don't want to talk about all that stuff anyway. So yeah. that's probably why I'm getting a little bit mixed up. Yeah, the winner just like, he was he was just very charismatic. And that's why he was elected leader and people let him lead definitely didn't murder anybody to uh <laughs> that maybe could have led instead that was just an unfortunate accident that he happened to drown in the six inches of water yeah and then apparently mask doesn't want to walk down to the hangar and has barara bring <laughs> his mac knife to the bridge so he can hop out 
Look, he's been a low-life Kintala all of his life. He's For the first time, he has hot female subordinates, and he is going to take advantage of their dancing poses. Good work, dancing my Mac knife over here. It looks so figure skating. I kind of love it. Like, literally, Barara takes the, the, his Mac knife out on the catapult, lifts it up like they're figure skating, and he gets he walks out of the bridge, I guess. He opens a window and leaves <laughs> and jumps in his Mac knife. Oh, man, someone could easily, like, take a shot from the bridge of the Space Granadon and just chop it into one of those, I opened a window, everybody else on the spaceship <laughs> memes. Cut to the salamandra, where Clem Nick is like, huh, somebody has spread Minovsky particles, and there doesn't seem to be a culprit. That's weird. And uh, Mick Jack's like, yeah, someone, now the Granadon's moving towards the direct fleet using Sanct Porto as a shield. And uh, they kind of give the viewer the notification that, Basically, the space Granadon can shoot and not be shot back. So then Clem Nick and Mick Jack get in the elevator for a nice elevator hug, which is like, I, I, from the first watch, was not sure if I was supposed to think they're a couple or not. I think this is the moment where we're supposed to say, okay, yes, they are, because okay. they're doing a nice elevator hug, I think. Yeah, it was, except Clem is not hugging oh, back. Do you think so. Clem is capable of hugging back? Do you think Mick Jack expected him to hug back? That's I think fair. this is both what both of them want exactly, and that's why they're <laughs> perfect for each other. Mick Jack wants a boy to hold while he like broods and looks out, and Clem Nick wants to be held while giving no physical affection in return. <laughs> I mean, they do seem weirdly, uh, I guess not weirdly, but they do seem actually pretty on the same page in a lot of places. Yeah, they're both massive shitheads. Yeah, I was going to say, the first time I watched it, I could not for the life of me figure out if they were romantically involved or if it was the Jesse James Team Rocket. These are just perfect for each other. It's not sexual or romantic way. I'm not entirely sure which one I'm supposed to take it as because I could see it either way. Yeah, this hug is what, to me, is the tipping point. This very subtle elevator hug. I'm still not actually entirely sure. Even after the elevator hug, because we've already seen Mick Jack has a very weird sense so, of humor. So the the way I like to interpret this is based off of a reading of the Gundam Wiki, where they say, uh, like, you know, people's relationships and stuff. Mick Jack is in a romantic relationship with Clem Nick. Clem Nick's page does not <laughs> say the same about Mick Jack. <laughs> anyway, Mick Jack's like, you must be pretty happy that everything's going according to schedule. And Clem Nick is like, yes, I am sexually into everything going according to my plan. <laughs> <laughs> and so Mick Jack's like, man, Kintala's going to Kintala, huh? So come next, he's like, they sure are. But in this operation, we are not friends. So we jump back over to the megafauna as it is uh, basically coming roaring up from a lower nut. Man, there's a shot there where uh, Danielle has a Pinocchio nose. <laughs> Danielle's actually doing some captaining for once. And Steer's like, don't tell me how to do my job, Captain. I know that's your <laughs> job, but... <laughs> Also, while he's, like, I guess attempting to, like, peek at Steer's rack. Yeah, like, uh, I really don't get, like, it doesn't look like he is, though. The animation seems off for it. But I then mean, he's like, I'm looks, just floating over here. It kind of looks like he's just trying to look out the uh, Yeah, it looks portal. to me like he's trying to, like, float above her so he can see out the window, actually. It looks like he's cranking his seat up, but he's in space so he can just float. Anyway, the Megafauna is entering combat range out of Sanct Porto. And it's only possible that the GRK and NG self are heading out. Well, there's some Novsky particles, so they can't ask. Although, maybe they're saying from St. Porto. Maybe they're still on St. Porto. Okay, that actually would make a bit of sense if the two haven't actually returned. Yeah, that's what I thought. Regardless, we get adorable Raraya eye catch. It might be my favorite one. It's pretty good. It's a chicken dance that ends with a graceful chichumi catch. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Desk and Microphone Recordings. 
a title which I hope is equally lackluster in energy to this actually pretty good episode of Reconquista. A lot happens this episode, uh, there's like some assassination plots, like, I oh don't know, we finally get into some political intrigue that actually like kinda has some stakes, people do some stuff, there's some plans, I don't know, I'm excited. The show actually at this point has kind of picked up a fair amount, it's less of a slog to watch. <laughs> Which is not exactly a ringing endorsement. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening to episode 14 of our recap of Urkin Giza and G. This is the part where I tell you that we have a patreon.com slash lastpodcasts. But you already know that. You, if you've been listening to this for any length of time, you know we have a Patreon. And that for $5 a month, you can get all of our episodes early. In addition to bonus episodes, we put out at least one a month. And they're all about all sorts of stuff. Uh, this is also a plug for Space Engineers, a now 10-year-old video game that I have been playing way too much of. And also a plug for The Bloodline, which is a wildly ambitious single-player open-world game made by a single developer up until very, very recently. It just came out in early access on Steam. I've been following it for years. Uh, there are so many things you can do in this game in terms of, like, character actions it's wild. I highly recommend it. So that's it. That's actually my pitch for this episode. Please go buy some video games. One's very old, one's very new. If you do pick up Space Engineers, I would love to play with you because I am obsessed with this game, but I definitely need other people to play with because I've gotten to the point where I have a self-sufficient space station and I don't know what to do next. Okay, anyway, that's it. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's my plug, is video games. Uh, let's go back to space and also mobile suit battles. <laughs> When we're back, Mashner is like, hey, aren't Rock Pie and his men being slow? Like men? And they're like, yeah, there are three enemies in the area. It's a very, it's a, I don't know if you know how many factions there are, but Zeta Gundam's jealous. <laughs> and uh, they're confused. Mashner's like, being confused is how you die. I mean, she's not wrong, but at the same time, like, it's obvious you're going to be a little confused because it's like, who do we shoot at first? But she gets some light signals that Rock Pie has headed for the Granadon. And we see him and his Elmoran team, because they're not just the Morans, they're also the Elmorans. They're very slightly different. They're actually, the more I stared at them trying to see the difference, the more I saw it. But boy, did I watch this show twice without noticing they were two different mobile suits. Man, is that a bad name for a mobile suit. The Moran or the Elmoran? The Moran. <laughs> no, it's Moran. Moran. Like, like no, it's ring Moran Moran. Moran. <laughs> Hungry like the space wolf. I can't let you do that, Star Fox. And uh, so he basically says, you know, right now we've got Sanct Porto behind us so we can shoot. So Mask is fighting Rock Pie and friends and friends. Basically saying if we distract them here, the Grandin can go up and uh, shoot the direct fleet. Well, basically distract them so that the Granadon can put Sanct Porto to its rear while it fires on them. So they can't shoot at it. I do like that there's actually a pretty good job of their tearing the military experience, right? Like Mask has learned from all his failures and thus is able to sort of outwit the Durette fleet. But Klimnik, a genius who has been in war for 10 years, is sort of a half step ahead of him. Yeah, they have done a pretty good job of looking at that and being like, oh, wow, they've each of these characters have learned what they're doing. And then you got Rock Pie, who obviously has like less experience and is super offended that they have the absolute gall to use a shield as a shield. Well, he's just trying to use all that shonen energy he has. Or, sorry, use a civilian center as a shield. It's not even a civilian center. It's just holy ground. Well, I mean, I say it's a civilian center because there are civilians on board that ship. True. 
and it is a center of non-combatants. We do get to see the Elmoran's um, beam saber as he declares, close combat is a taboo. It's more like a beam katana. It's more like a Zaku heat saber. It's, yeah. not, it's more beam than that, but it is a physical sword that just kind of gets a beam around it. I'm not sure why close combat is a taboo. I think it's just like combat in general. I, like, I think it's something he's prepared for, but... Either that or he's a clanner and physical combat is a, a big no-no despite <laughs> it being very effective. I mean, regardless, they uh, did build their so- uh, mobile suits with katanas, so it's a taboo they were willing to break, right? Yes. The best way to do it is making so that the opponent thinks something is off-limits when you know that you can still do it. Yeah, the, the, the war crimes hand that we've discussed before. Look, Zach, this is maybe the most war crimes heavy Gundam series. <laughs> That's because they're all still figuring out what is a war. There are only a... war crimes if you lose. So Mask shoots up to the enemy fleet. Rock Pie tries to get rid of him, but he Mask is... Mask dances <laughs> through it. Again, I, I, I hate, hate the, the Mac, Mac knife, knife, but I love the Mac knife. I love the way the Mac knife moves. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of... Um, like some of the ways that we'd see the uh, Exia, the Exia move. Yeah, uh, the Mac knife. Like it's a tear. I don't want a model of it, but seeing it in motion really like makes its stocks rise for me. But he basically he like kamikazes at the ship, but then dumps off like I guess message tubes. We don't really know what they are, but he will tell us later that that's basically his intent. He shoots what appears to be some missiles at the bridge, but they just kind of latch on. Yeah, I thought they were, like, tracking devices, except everyone saw him do it. And then he just flies away. I assumed that they were, like, satchel charges, basically. Yeah, so that he can threaten to blow up the ship at any time. I also, that was one of my theories as well. But, but then since he didn't actually do anything, like, I, I kind of, I'm like, he says, catch on to what I've done. I'm like, are these, like, EMP mines? Are you going to use these later? What are these? And then he tells us next episode what they are. And I think also the catch on to what I've done is like an olive branch to the audience to like say like, oh, this is shenanigans. It is not something deadly necessarily because if he would not want them to catch on if it was a mine, for example, or a tracking device. So anyway, he gets back to the Garandan and they, the captain announces that they're going to the moon while also they're being tailed. And uh, the Salamandra is also going to do basically the same thing. Use Sank Porto as a shield and head for the moon. Especially since the megafauna is also going. So like, yeah, well, probably one of us will make it. And the salamander's kind of like, well, the megafauna is mostly our ally. So even if we get into a fight with Mask later, we'll have okay, the upper hand. Okay, This also kind of confirms what you were saying earlier about the, the GR Kane and G-Self being aboard Sanct Porto and not aboard the megafauna. Because he does state they joined up with them. That's the only way I can interpret it. Which makes sense because the pilots were on Sanct Porto. They had to get there somehow. Mm-hmm. So Ida starts complaining that they're going to be the last ones to the moon because already, everybody already left. Apparently because Bellary was taking too long for some reason. I just take this as Ida like giving Bellary shit because she's frustrated and he's her, her, uh, her co-high. So she's all had to do that. Well, he does say the connectors on the space backpack aren't very good. So it could also be a situation where the thing wasn't hooking up properly. Hoppa, you have one job. I do love this conversation that Ida and Bellary have on the monitors that Danielle is just like, I feel like, bass. yeah, I feel like it's kind of a situation where he just is happening to listen in on their conversation while they're talking to each other. They're not actually communicating with the bridge. I love the Denny Kruger effect just getting the Bellry hard about now he's like, leave it to me. It's not something I'm confident enough to say, despite the fact that now I'm the most experienced and best pilot we have. Was totally willing to say it when I was a rookie novice who knew nothing, but now I'm like, oh shit. That is the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Oh, this I- is imposter syndrome. 
I thought Dunny Kruger was people who are good at a job usually think they're bad, and people who are bad at a job usually think they are good. Uh, I thought it was both ways. I thought is, it was about but, humans' ability to perceive what they're good at. It is, but Dunning Kruger specifically refers to people thinking they are better than they are, whereas imposter syndrome is specifically thinking or people thinking that they're worse than they are. Gotcha. Anyway, I just like okay, but say it sometimes, even if it's a lie. It's reassuring to hear. That that was, that's one of the things that makes me really think that they they don't realize Danielle is actually listening to them. <laughs> it also comes up again later. I I think next episode where he uh, Hoppa tells him something. He's like, "It's nice to hear you say that, even if you don't mean it." I do like how basically Curbs is going in and be like, "All right, guys, we're about to have company." I love all of these mobile suits on the megafauna taking up like the strike sniper position on the board. There's even this one like this Jahanam like casually laying down on the back for a firing position. I love that like, well, it's extra guns. <laughs> and then obviously the G the G models are on top. Yep. So Clem Nick and Mick Jack are like, obviously they're gonna send mobile suits after us as they start departing from the Salamandra. And Clem Nick's like, only three units, what idiots. And Mick Jack's like, it may not be that they're idiots. They may just not have that much confidence in their cool mobile suits. And But I have a Gatling gun <laughs> with a bayonet and chainsaw. <laughs> well, yeah. that, that, that doesn't this... happen until next episode. But Look, I said the, uh, the Hecate had more cool stuff, and we haven't even seen it all. But yeah, then Mick Jack immediately chain guns when it's like, oh, wait, no, they are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> like moths to a Gatling gun. Clem Jack takes out the other two and declares himself a genius for it. Although, to be fair, he did just 1v2, two mobile suits. He's never fought before, so. Also, is this our first time seeing that, like, new Heat Hawk on the blue Yeah, Jahana? the, like, hatchet that he's got. I, f- I swear we've seen that before, have we not? I don't think we've seen him use it yet. It-, it looked unfamiliar to me. That doesn't mean that we haven't seen it. It is rad, though. I mean, I- it's very Zaki Warrior. But uh, Danielle is like, hey, we got some problem. We-, we got company coming. Belry, go kill them all. My question, um... I remember thinking about this while I was watching the episode is uh, Mick and Clem are having a conversation with each other and they are not touching. Mandowski particles have been spread. Yes. Yes. But I think like there's a lot of motion to this fight. Yes, right? They fly and out of range. Yeah, that's my that would be my headcanon explanation, because like we don't really have a good bearing on what, where the ships are. And in, to be fair, in space, it would be incredibly difficult to give us one outside of characters saying, hey, the megafauna is this far back or this. I get the feeling that this battle is pretty much a clusterfuck. And it <laughs> was, fair. and uh, the place that was generating the Minovsky particles was around Sankt Porto, which all three of the ships have pretty much boogied on away from. Yeah, even the megafauna, which is in the rear, seems far enough away from it, right? That's my headcanon anyway. Yeah, okay. th- that, that's what I figured as well. And since, you know, they aren't spreading Minovsky particles themselves. Although it's weird that their ships aren't, but whatever. I mean, depending on if they have to use the, like, Minovsky particle generators or something like that, and they're just punching all of that energy into engines. Yeah, that's fair. That's not how Minovsky particles work, but it's close enough that I'm willing to give it to them. I mean, I don't know how Minovsky particles usually work. They're, Neither they does are, Tomino. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, there is, like, a, more science than there needs to be. Basically, they're a byproduct of the engines. Oh, okay. We cut back to the megafauna being attacked by a team of Morins, and we cut in on one of the Morin pilots. Who's like, hey, I recognize that weird blue mobile suit. That's the weird test machine we had and decided not to use. And holy shit, why is it so much better than our mobile suits that we did decide to use? <laughs> and uh, and he's Bellary, got a clear character design to him. Like, he's got a face. Yes. Uh, Bellary goes full Kira Yamato on these fools. O- only a lot more murderous. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, one of well, them he, he specifically did murder. He and shoots then the out second, the head of the first one, and then the second one he's like, you know what? The I'm feeling like a cockpit <laughs> shot. I don't like this guy in particular. Because the rest of them he basically just disarms or removes. Yeah, I think he is attempting to Kira Yamato, but he's not quite Kira Yamato at it. But he, him attempting is pretty close. But then one of the mo- one of the morons, having just seen him just the- like completely trounce three guys in about three seconds, goes full Jar Jar Binks. My give up. <laughs> well, the other one basically ran away. When Bellary like sweating is like, oh god, thank god I stopped in time and did not murder this surrendering man. <laughs> As, I like as his gun bounces off the G cell. I, I like that shot of them like point blank range and the gun that he dropped just floating away. I actually really like that. It's pretty good. I hadn't noticed that when I watched this. Clem Nix, Jahanam just like hanging, got its arm over the bridge like it's around his, his best buddy. <laughs> so that Clem Nick gets out to talk to the captain through the window. Well, if you look, he's got a, he's got like a cable. Yeah. And the guy's like, come on, Captain, please write your log at any other time. This is not Star Trek. And he's like, why? We're, we're cool now. But but he's like, look, Clem Nick and Mick Jack are still working. They're and the only ones see, who do work on the ship, as far as I can tell. And we see Bellry taking this random Morin pilot, basically prisoner. He has grabbed the Morin pilot's gun so he can akimbo <laughs> at him. I didn't, I didn't notice that, but it does also explain why they have it later. Yeah, he's... Meanwhile, uh, Curbs, I, I'm presuming this is Curbs, is towing the mobile suit back. It's a pretty cool shot. The captain of the space grotted down is like, good work, Mask. And Mask is like, no, I learned from Clem Nick that you should say other people did a good job and take no credit. So you did a good job, idiot. That's how you get popularity and po- in, uh, what's it called? Your reputation to grow even farther. If reading all the Kaifus Kane novels has taught me anything, it's that. Downplay your heroics. And here's where Mask goes. Now, if they just read that message to by shot onto their hull, we'll be in business. And the captain's like, yes, I'm sure that they'll read it, since it said that we will let them live on Earth if they surrender to us. And Mask is like, yes, I heard all of Toasanga's sailors want to live on Earth. Don't ask me where I heard that or how. <laughs> it's Kintala lore. I would love it if there was a shot to them reading it going, the fuck do you think we are? We cut back to the megafauna where Raraya is reached 100% lucidity and proves it by naming all of the characters. Miss Naredo Nug... <laughs> Which she responds to by basically going, Naredo, Naredo. <laughs> <laughs> and playing with her slingshot. And Ida's like, congratulations. Is that what you say when someone gets help? Yeah, it's fine, right? And Raraya's like, I don't know what you mean, Ida Surrogod. And, and then Bellary's like, she's talking? I'm like, she's been talking all episode. What are you talking about? So Bellary reaches out to grab her. And uh, she's like, I'm Raya Ackpearl. And he's like, oh, you have a real name? And then Ida's like, no, no touching. <laughs> We have to go look at the prisoner. And Naredo apparently got some sort of acrylic slingshot bullets. She she went to the RPG store and bought a new slingshot. Yeah, she has a slingshot plus one now. And she shoots the Haro thing. A Haro I can't remember what it's... Oh, it is just a Haro I, I, I think it's named Nobel. Oh, no, you're right. It is Nobel. 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 Cut to the salamandra. And the captain's like, hey, is it all right if we get the megafauna get ahead of us? And Klimnik's like, of course it is. They'll be our meat shield. And Jack is like, he's got a crush on Ida, and he wants good boy points for sending her back to his dad, her dad. Mick Jack is such a shit disturber. It's <laughs> yep. so great. Especially when she's in her, like, casual mom outfit. It's such a contrast. But they're like, hey, if they see us going to attack their homeland, they're going to turn around and chase us. But Clem Nick is like, I think there are people in the Durette fleet who will collaborate with us. And Mick Jack is like, yes, we also dangled residency rights to Earth as bait for them. So I love the idea that I'm pretty sure is canon 
that mask is like, hey, uh, you come to Earth, we'll let you have Ameria. And Ameria's like, hey, you come to Earth, we'll let you have Gondwan. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty great. So we cut on to the uh, Telesanga ships with Mashner and Rockpie. Who are like, hmm, three ships going for our homeland. They must want us to split up. And But Mashner's like, that's fine. They can intercept them at home. We have battleships at home. They'll deal with it. We're going to stay here and reconquista. That's a word. We've decided. <laughs> and so Mashner well, I think it enters- actually is. I think it was actually a thing that happened in Spain. That, that was a reconquista. Okay, that was what it was. Also, Mashner's like entering sexual harassment mode. And Rockpie's <laughs> like, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Cut to purple-haired guy who got captured earlier. Who's like, yeah, this ship should make it to Toasanga. It should be fine. Like, <laughs> I just love the contrast. You have Curbs and Danielle st- and uh, Ida basically are all there, like, very seriously looking down at this guy. And then you have Bellry in the background <laughs> drinking his water. And he's like, yeah, nobody on Toasanga thinks Earthnoids are coming. They wouldn't know what to do if you showed up. And I was wondering if he was lying about this the entire time. I think it's sort of like the same way that like if aliens showed up on Earth, what would we do? Like it's something we've imagined and like, but there's n- it's not something our military has a plan for though. Yeah. And that's something they've said multiple times. I think they do have a plan for it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it wouldn't surprise me if the military had a, be- had a plan for if aliens showed up on Earth. <laughs> Uh, they've publicly said many times they do not. So. They've also publicly said many times a lot of things. Yeah, but this, but things they have reason to lie about. Uh, and you think they aren't yeah, lying about Yeah, maybe this? they do have reason to lie about it. What, what would that reason be? Aliens have already shown up on Earth and they've had to chase them off before. Zach, you don't believe that the Titanic was actually the Olympic. You're telling me you believe aliens have visited Earth? <laughs> I think there's definitely a possibility. I think the Olympic Titanic thing is way more possible. So narrator's like, you're saying they don't have science fiction on Toa Curbs is like, ah, but they don't have war, so. Anyway, your name is Ringo, right? And he's like, yes, sir, I'm the worst of the Beatles, sir. And Ida's like, yeah, they did raise a space fleet, though, so I doubt they're completely undefended. Bellary, you're going to have to defeat the entire moon for us. <laughs> Bellary kind of has the impression where, like, she calls out his name, and it's like he's not paying attention. And then she compliments how good he is at soldiering, and he's like, he gets all starry-eyed for a second, he's like, wait a second. You're just saying that to stroke my ego. And she's like, yes, I am. Do it anyway. And she's, he's like, like, God damn it. She's like, with great power comes great responsibility. And you're the protagonist. So take all of this responsibility. He looks like he's like trying not to. He's like, I won't fall for your flattery. Like, I'm trying not to fall for your flattery. And the narrator's like, just fucking do it. It's like, okay, but you're important too, guys. And there's that dude <laughs> from before. And it's like, I don't even have a name, my dude. He does have a handgun. We know that. Raya gets all excited to go home, back to Toasanga, and then we see the moon. That's, That's no, no moon. moon. <laughs> <laughs> I regret to inform you both that it is, in fact, both a moon and the moon. <laughs> I, I think it got moon of Theseus, though. They just, like, replaced parts of it over time with, oh. like, infrastructure. I mean, it's just Unicron. I mean, that's fair, but that would still make it the moon. Or it, a it moon. Would be, yeah, it would be least. a moon, for sure. So I think it's, I, we were saying, I think this is a pretty good episode. The action works pretty well. It's, like I said, a bit of clustery, but in a way that I think is pretty clear what's happening where for a change. And there is for, literal forward movement, right? Not necessarily on the plot, but like from one important physical location to another important physical location. That unlike other ones, we have some context for what's on the moon, but enough of a mystery to be like, oh, I wonder what's there. Well, And we have characters taking direct action to further... Like, I know why they're going here. 
It makes sense. And we have some political intrigue. Like, we have two different factions trying to get a third faction to split well, off into a sub-faction. Well, we've got three factions interacting right now. Because, like, the direct fleet going after them. Like, they're not in some, like, huge hurry to catch them. But they are still following them. And then, you know, Mask and then the Ameria fleet. Like, they're all going over there. And I would argue that Klim, Nick, and the Megafauna are two separate factions on their own. Despite being mostly allied. They definitely have different motivations and objectives. Yeah, Danielle does this. not trust Klimnik. Okay, that's fair. Well, I think Danielle trusts Klimnik. Ida doesn't trust Klimnik. And we have kind of two character introductions this episode, too, if you count Raya being a human now as a character introduction, <laughs> in addition to Ringo. And it all works pretty well together, right? We talk about how G-Self is both a lot and not much, but this week it managed to be a lot without feeling like a lot, I feel like. Well, we also actually get um, Mashner. Because pre- oh, in, right. in the previous she, she episode, was in the previous episode, but she was just a character design, right? Yeah, she was basically just guy design, guy design, and the girl. Like she was just the girl, basically of the of the um and now direct she, fleet. She's and now, now easily the most interesting member of the direct fleet. Yeah, and now she's basically like taking the uh, kind of the primary antagonist slot, depending on how you rate like mask. Yeah, like, because we've been seeing a lot of mask, and like we know who he is. It's. I agree with you. I'm just realizing that this series kind of doesn't have an antagonist, and that's kind of weird because it has a lot of antagonism. So that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I mean, it. It's one of those things because they are constantly showing you from you know multiple sides. They've actually kind of try in most Gundam series don't necessarily have an antagon like an overarching antagonist at least for the first half of them because like obviously the first half of Gundam Seed Crusade might be. Like, you could say him, but he's in the background for so much of the first half of Gundam Seed. And I wouldn't say Atherin is the antagonist. No, in fact, we called them the Deuteragonist quite frequently while we were recording it. Char did nothing wrong. Yeah, um, but there are usually characters who are bad, right? Even if they have, like, sympathetic motivations or more going on, there are usually characters that, in a D&D sense, are evil. And I don't know if there are any in Reconquista and G. Maybe Colonel Compact, but even him. We just know he's mysterious and shifty, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's I guess neutral that, shifty. I guess that is true because while there are an awful lot of factions, there aren't a lot of characters here. In Gundam Seed, they get from space and basically leave Crusade and they start interacting with Waltfeld. Yeah, and then a- they leave the Waltfeld situation and go to whatever the fuck uh, space or water dude was. Captain Beardo. Uh, I was going to say the Wallfield situation was also what him and his wife's uh, like jazz band was called. <laughs> so obviously those were characters, but here it's basically been, if there's ever someone attacking the megafauna, it's Mask. Yeah, and I'm, inter- inter- I'm realizing another interesting thing, which is kind of going to be more true going forward, which is this series, I- I've kind of hinted at before, doesn't kill a lot of characters, but it also just more than that doesn't leave a lot of characters behind, right? Like Mask and Klim Nick and now Mashner are all going with them to the next spot where they're going to pick up some more characters, right? But not showing, yeah. like, you've, you've been added to my entourage style. No, like, just, like, we're we're going prop, like, like new medical conditions you get as you grow older and older <laughs> and you have to deal with all of them. Uh, I've got Mashner syndrome. <laughs> Do you have a high point, Tyler? I think the fact that we actually get some political intrigue and the fact that two different factions thought up of the same way to dangle a carrot and potentially a stick over the Dorette fleet is they pretty cool. They dangled the same carrot. 
Yep. No, I think that's actually really funny, um, and it, I, I'm curious to see what comes of that. Oh, it's hilarious. I, I mean, it. but that's like, again, realistic to diplomacy, right? Of like, oh, we obviously both know what they want, and we both have a different shitty way to give it to them that fucks our other enemy. Yep. Zach? I think my high point might be Bellary Wrecking Shop. It's really cool, right? Like, it's it's so cool to see Bellary actually go out and be a badass for a change. Mine kind of connected to that. I really like Ringo surrendering. I love him being like, oh, God, that guy's a badass, and I'm just Ringo, <laughs> the worst drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> I don't want none of that. That is pretty great, especially, like, the whole sequence of them escorting his mobile suit back, and Bellary's like, I've got your gun, so don't try anything. Do you have a low point, Tyler? If anything, it might have been the exposition dump at the beginning of the episode during the peace treaty, if only because it was, like, the characters didn't seem interested in it, so... And also, last episode, they did say, hey, let's meet again to write all this down and formalize it. But the first time I watched this, I kind of missed that line, and I was like, why are we doing this again? <laughs> I I kind of had that same thing happen. I, I must have missed that part. Well, we talked about it last week, but it happened last week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Zach? Mine's kind of specific because it annoys me and bothers me. Ida's cocktail dress? Why is that in there? Why? Like, because they're like, hey, look, Ida's cocktail dress. And I'm like, okay, this is a little strange, but I guess if they're going to a formal, nope, <laughs> not there. So I'm like, why is this here? Is this here? Is this supposed to be here for me? Because I'm not really into that right now. Like, And neither was Bellary as far as we could tell. Like, this so. isn't a thing. Like, It would make sense if it was like, okay, we're, pl- we're preparing for this like infiltration of a party or something like that. Or we're going to deal with this party. And it kind of feels like that was originally the plan. I, and then they just decided to drop a potential plot point there. Yeah, it, it feels like another one of those, like, it was on the storyboard, and then they just, like, never connected the two pieces of the final storyboard together. I'm gonna go with the weirdness around Raya getting better, right? It's just a little awkward, because it seems like she's better at the start, but it's not until the end of the episode that everyone treats her like she is. Which, on a third watch, I think works, and I know what they're going for, but it did take three watches. Yeah, I mean, you bringing that up may, makes a lot of sense, Um, like I said. I just didn't put it together because I was like, oh, no, it was because she knows these people and is worried about them, like, seeing her. Like, I thought that was why she was having trouble, but it is kind of neat because that is one of those things that you mentioned before where Raya has been steadily getting better through the entire series. But again, talking about character development, it's not treated as a big beat when she suddenly is better. It just happens. Yes. Uh, do you have an MVP, Tyler? I think I'm actually going to give it to Mick Jack. She has a lot of really good one-lines. She has elevator hug. Uh, She absolutely wrecks a dude. Zach? I would like to give it to Mick Jack as well, but I think I have to go to Mask because Mask being shifty and, uh, you know, him deploying the message tubes on the Mac knife and all that. And unnecessarily asking Barara to dance pose his Mac knife to him. I think those are both excellent choices. I think there are a lot of characters who earn the nod this week. And so I'm going to give it to Bellary for Wrecking Shop, even though Bellary has too many MVPs already. I feel like with his performance this week, he deserves one. Yeah, he actually did it this time. It makes sense. It's just, I didn't want to give it to Bellary again because Bellary feels like he's just, since he's the only character who feels like he's allowed to do anything, he just keeps getting them by default. All right, that'll do it for this week, which is this our favorite episode so far. It seems I, like the one we were most excited to talk I about. I think so. Like, lots of interesting stuff actually happened this it's week. just so. kind of a shame it starts out so badly with that freaking opening. We'll see if it keeps up next week when we watch episode 15 of Rikongista in G. Fly forth to Toa Sanga. Sounds on the internet. <laughs>